And good morning, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Backhurst, joined with a special guest this morning, Riley Dampier, who's part of U.S. Rowing. Riley, rather than me kind of giving you or giving everybody your history, would you please just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got into rowing and what you do now? Absolutely. Great to, uh, great to be here with you today, Tim. So I started rowing in college. It was something that uh, I wanted to try out when I got to California sunshine and uh, to be outside, be outdoors. And, uh, and it, uh, it started to be on a pretty wild ride for sure. So, uh, so I rode in college uh, for four years. And then after that, I, uh, I joined a club, a few pl club programs um, with the intention of making the US national team for the sport of rowing. And uh, I did that for about six years and uh, and I was on one national team and was working towards the Olympics. I just missed going to the Olympics in 2008, but I immediately shifted into the coaching position uh, that fall and um, as an assistant coach to the program I had been previously a participant of and uh, just really knew that that is where I belonged. And, and I'd always wanted to be a teacher, Tim. So this was, you know, a, a really comfortable for, position for me to be in. And now, wow, I had this incredible sport that I loved and I could be the teacher that I'd always wanted to be. So I've been coaching since 2008. Uh, I did it at the club level as an assistant and I became a head coach of that program. And I've been at the U.S. Rowing National High Performance Center here in Oklahoma City uh, since 2016 after the Olympics. Um, in 2016, I made the transition to come here and develop athletes for the next few quadrennials. Quadrennials is an interesting word. You used it before <laughs> we started our stream. It's not one we hear very often because this is we're talking about the Olympics, and that's rowing's marquee event. I'm curious how you prepare athletes for a four-year goal. I can see that being very difficult for an athlete to stay committed and motivated into a program when things are so far away. Absolutely. I think uh, that it's, it's it actually, interestingly enough, I would say that four years is actually not that much time, truly, when you're talking about the Olympic podium and, uh, and really trying to participate at the highest level in any sport, right? Mm -hmm. so four years is actually a very short period of time when you think back from the ultimate goal and you work back in the steps and you realize what you have to be doing today to actually be able to achieve that um, goal four years from now. So it, it actually doesn't take very long, especially for athletes that are coming from collegiate sports where they can reflect back on, wow, I started out as a freshman and I was at this level and now I'm a senior and totally different athlete than I was when I walked in the door. So I think that it's actually a pretty easy transition. Um, from that perspective, you know, just getting your head around four years, I think, um, you know, it, it can be pretty daunting, but, um, but we have specific elements that we want to work in every year. And some athletes start, you know, a year into the cycle or two years in. And so some, for some athletes, it turns into a seven year process or a six year. Wow. And, uh, and, and again, I think, um, you know, if this is what you really want in four years, 
you know, at minimum sounds too daunting, then, you know, you're probably doing the wrong thing, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's actually very reasonable to get your head around four years and, uh, and the quadrennials, um, you know, we've got LA in 2028. And right now that's my, my eyes are on, on LA 2028. And, uh, and I think that, you know, that that's very reasonable. And I think, wow, that's actually just around the corner. Uh, I'm sure um, that that seems like a long ways away to a lot of people, but to me, it's wow! I got to put a lot of things in place to help prepare the U.S. team for the next U.S. Olympics. Okay, so so thinking that kind of length out, four years, I get it. Eight years, wow! You really have to think a long way ahead. What right. are some of the things that you have to plan out now in order to be successful in eight years' time? Right. Well, of course, uh, most importantly, we're looking at the athlete pool, right? And, and mm -hmm. I've been working um, with a few different um, supporters in our community, both locally and nationally, trying to, to work on how, how do we find, how do we identify the top talent eight years from now? What do those people look like today? What are those athletes doing today? And um so the, the pool of athletes is mostly high schoolers right now, right? When we're talking about um, LA and uh, in Paris in, in 2024, a lot of those athletes are in high school for the sport of rowing. Some are in college today, and, uh, and some might be just graduated from college in terms of when we look ahead to, um, to Paris. And, uh, and, and we want to know, how, are, how do they deal with adversity? You know, how, how are they dealing with tough times in their lives? And that's, that's a really important question. Um, again, when you think about digging in for f at least four years, you got to have somebody that's into the grind, you know, that understands what hard work is and understands that, you know, the highs come with lows and, and how do you deal with those lows? Um, and, uh, and, and I think that, you know, looking from the sports psychology side is really important, but then also we want athletes that are um, into a few different sports as well, you know, multidisciplined athletes tend to, again, just be that much more well-rounded and understand how to, you know, deal with wins and losses in, in a variety of sports and in a variety of environments. And um, that's, that's interesting because a, a lot of sports really specialize early, maybe not necessarily that a good thing, but we see that a lot where parents will push an athlete into, I'm going to say push, I'm going to say that delicately, but, but that's happened a lot. Sure. You know, a, a child is playing a sport from the age of four, and it's expected that they play that through their high school career and, and get some kind mm -hmm. of college scholarship. Right. You're suggesting that that's not a benefit to rowing. No, definitely not. And I, and I think that a lot of um, a lot of coaches would agree. And I think there is a big shift, Tim, um, in the last few years to get away from so from just pigeonholing athletes into our kids into one sport. I think you're finding that in, in a lot of, you know, in, in a lot of co uh, coaching interviews that I've listened to in the last six months here, you know, listening to even football coaches and basketball coaches, some of those premier college sport coaches uh, talk about the athletes that they want to work with. It, it is the multidiscipline athletes. I think there are, um, you know, there is a range there, of course, and some athletes will be peaking in their teen years. And so sports specialization would benefit those kids earlier than say um, the rowers who are going to uh, be looking towards the Olympic podium, probably in their twenties, if not thirties. Um, so I think too, it depends on the 
the age of peaking in the sport that that kind of dictates that. But I, I've I've found that um, coaches are actually are looking even you know those high level college coaches are looking for a range of athleticism from their athletes, not just this this guy's really good at doing this one thing. He's been good at a few different things, and wow, I, I think that he can really contribute in a lot of different ways, and not just that one way. Now, a lot of people maybe think U.S. rowing, it's a USOPC sport, you go to the Olympics, you have these big regattas, athletes are well paid, they, they have a good salary and, and uh, you know, plenty of sponsorships. Is, is that the case? No, not at all. No, not at all. Um, most, most of the Olympic uh, athletes are amateur athletes, right? It, you know, in, in every single way that you could possibly define that. And um, there is, there's really very little money. There's no Nike contracts in our sport um, at all, you know, and, and nothing even that would be comparable to that. It really is uh, for love of the sport and for the love of, you know, the Olympic movement and wanting to become an Olympian, represent their country and, uh, and go after that that podium. So, you know, there, there is not a lot of money there. That said, there is the, the community around our sport is very strong and extremely supportive. Um, so there are a lot of um, sponsorship opportunities, but they are much more based on individuals who've probably come through the sport, uh, to be honest with you. And, uh, and, you know, and that's, it. that's a tough, um, double-edged sword, I guess, if you will, that this high level of amateurism in our sport is that you're, you're really getting athletes who are just in it for one thing, you know, or, or certainly can define it based um, on things outside of the financial benefits. Um, there, there are a lot of reasons, I should say, but, but it's not. It's, it's very, very unlikely. It's financially driven. <laughs> so, so most of your athletes would, you know, be in college, have jobs, work full time, have families, the usual things that most of us do. And then on the side, they're training in right. high performance to try to be an Olympian. Correct. Right, right. Luckily, here in Oklahoma City, we're able to provide an environment where we can subsidize um, based on performance. We subsidize where they live. We've got apartments that the athletes live in, and um, we have a very small roster to accommodate that. But, um, but we try to provide a lot of support structure around the athletes from the physical therapy that they receive, again, to the sports psychology to, you know, we work with a local hospital and one of the physicians there. So we have a lot of things in place to help them so they're not burdened to work 40 hours because 40 hours plus trying to be an Olympian is really unrealistic. It's possible, no doubt, but it is unrealistic. So we're looking for people that are working that can make this work on, on at max 30 hours of work a week. But, but yes, in general, they do have to work to, uh, to pay the bills and to pay for that big grocery bill for sure, for being a, a you know, a high level endurance athlete. <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned in, in your intro was that you had been an Olympic hopeful and, and didn't quite make it. And I, I think that's interesting because a lot of times we see all the success stories, right? We hear of all these people who walk away with the gold medals, yet that didn't happen for you. And I wonder, is, has that helped you as a coach, knowing kind of the disappointment and the frustration of almost being there and, and not quite making it? And so then being able to support those who are you know, on the cusp, so to speak. Right. 
Definitely. I wouldn't say that it was necessary for me to be a good coach, right? right. But I, right. <laughs> but I do think that it, it it has certainly played a big role in uh, my ability to coach uh, today. So I, because of when I was kind of coming through the system between college and then in those few years after college, we were, you know, I, I didn't, I'm old enough to have not even had a cell phone in uh, college, let alone be really, you know, involved with uh, what was going on online. And then social media came along and and the way that people are connected um, to each other is very different than it was when I was coming through as an athlete, which is just to say that I really didn't know in many ways what the right path was and how was I going to get there. I was very self-motivated and driven to do this thing, but I didn't have a lot of good uh, resources in my life and it was, and I didn't know how to connect to them. It was, I had a magazine that I got every month to know who the superstars of our sport were, but otherwise mm-hmm. I didn't know how to reach out to people or where the best place to train was, where the best coaches were, that, that kind of information just wasn't available. So I jumped around and I, and I worked with quite a few coaches actually in those six years after college. And, um, and, and, to your point, I think that that really helped me a lot because I, through my very meandering path, mm-hmm. I learned a lot about myself, but also what worked and what didn't work. And I was am now able to draw on all those experiences to, you know, hone my own voice as a coach. And I think that that was really helpful that I w- had an experience in a lot of different environments because no one said, this is exactly where you need to go. I, I was figuring it out on my own so much uh, along the way. So I think that all that all of those experiences actually really do help me tremendously. And, and I, I know a lot of what not to do, but I've also learned along the way of, of the right way to do things and watching some of my peers along the way that were absolute rock stars and, and understanding the difference between that athlete and, you know, the more developing athletes and, and what were the key key differences. So it, it definitely, my path absolutely helped me tremendously with who I am today and, and my coaching um, ability today and my coaching voice. And, and I'm very grateful for that experience. So missing the Olympics um, was something that uh, I mourned at the time. And, you know, and, and it was something that I, I really, I wanted it so dearly, but today I look back and wow, I, I did live the dream. You know, I, I, I did so much and got so close that uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for all of it, for, for the highs and the, in, in the, in the low lows, for sure. You've been coaching for a while now. One of the the challenges I think for all of us, and, and you talked about not having a cell phone in college, and <laughs> I know what that was like, but our the, the new generation, my children, for example, have no concept of what that's like. And they live in a, a different age, a, a technological age, if you were. How do you, I guess, try to stay, stay up to date, current, relevant with your athletes when you know, what you went through as um, a teenager and a young adult is not the same as what they're going through. How do you, how do you stay connected with them and, and develop that relationship? Right. Uh, it's definitely been an adjustment. Mm-hmm. I think too, um, th- this does lend itself to the differences in some sports as well. So the athletes that I coach are generally 
um, again, the endurance athletes, and they're generally training by themselves. So the way that, you know, a, a triathlete or a marathon runner would probably not go out for a session for three hours and be taking social media breaks. It's the same with rowers. Of course, they're on the water. They're probably not taking their cell phones out there anyway. But the kinds of athletes that I work with generally are not the ones that are so tethered to their phones in the way that some other athletes are. So I'd say that I actually have an easier job maybe than some of my peers in terms of staying connected to them because I still, there, there's this very strong thread between what they've chosen to do with their lives. Again, because promoting themselves on social media is going to help a little bit, but it's not going to help the way that it would for some other athletes um, in other kinds of sports, right? So they they do use it as a tool, but I wouldn't say that it's it's significantly changed the way that I need to interact with my athletes. And maybe I've I've you know maybe I've missed it, and I've been so you know uh, uh, trained <laughs> over the last few years to adapt to the changes um, in, in the reliance on social media. But I, I think that I use it as a way to promote the program and the development environment that we've created here in Oklahoma City. But in terms of communicating with the athletes, I'm still, you'll, you'll still find me picking up the phone um, before I text someone for sure. <laughs> how, how do you recruit athletes to your programs? Because it, it's not like, um, you know, a marathon runner where you have roads to run on. Rowing is, is quite specific in that you have to have specific locations where you can actually train, right? You have to have a straight, a straight yep. area of, of water that's calm where people can train, and there aren't too many of those. No. <laughs> you know, if, if somebody is in, in a, you know, outside of Oklahoma City, how do you actually get them to, to actually in, in invest that time and effort into a long-term project such as rowing? Right, right. So, mo right, most of most of the rowing in the country is um, along the coasts. There are um, many, and, and a lot of the draw is around um, high school programs and predominantly college programs. So, a lot of the college programs in our country uh, are on the coast, from Washington down to California, uh, Massachusetts down to Florida. Uh, so, it's it is still a newer sport in the middle of the country, if you will, in, in Oklahoma. But this training site has been here for over a decade now, and um, it's uh, the draw at first was how unique it is. And now what it is is that we've, we have developed many uh, Olympians over the years and uh, with the coaches prior to me coming here, and now we're working on that next generation. And my, again, as I said earlier, my target audience is a lot of high school age athletes and, and where are they going to be um, when L.A., Comes. So I run camps and I think that the, those camps are the best way to introduce current high school and college age rowers to Oklahoma City because they're used to the coast. They're used to a different environment than and, and you know, for better or for worse, there it's, it is a, a very different environment. And, uh, and I think that a lot of those kids have are a little apprehensive. Wait a second. There's rowing in Oklahoma. Really? <laughs> but, um, but so I run these camps as a way to introduce athletes, you know, my future Olympians, hopefully, to, um, to the city, to the environment, 
to the coaching, to, you know, the facilities, which are just really incredible. The amount of space that we have here is so different than a lot of the, you know, the, the small boathouses um, that exist in some of those bigger cities on the coast. So uh, I find that the, the, the camps that we hold really help reveal all that we have to offer here in the middle. And that's, that's really been my best way to recruit is that we have, um, that we promote it in a, in a very various outlets um, that rowers check in on again on social media and, uh, and online. And, uh, and we use that as an opportunity to bring in some high level athletes, you know, around Christmas time and as well over the summers. And so far that's been really, really helpful because then those athletes graduate from college and end up joining our full-time um, year-round uh, training program, you know, in the pipeline, in the Olympic development pipeline. So you're a performance director. What, what specifically do you do on a daily basis? I know we're in unusual times, but if, if we take ourselves out of this moment, what would your day look like? Right. So it's, it's an early morning, uh, again, to accommodate those who do work. Uh, it's really helpful just to get the first session of the day out fairly early in the morning. So I usually get up at, by six o'clock and uh, we're down to the boathouse um, by seven, uh, maybe a little bit earlier than that, again, depending, but we're up pretty early. And uh, so I've got, you know, my morning preparation process, and then I head down to the boathouse and get, you know, get things ready for the athletes to arrive. And, and we run a session, again, usually Monday through Saturday, that first session of the day is on the water. And we're on the water for anywhere from 90 minutes to, you know, two hours, uh, two and a half hours, maybe in a little bit longer than that on Saturday mornings. And, uh, and then we come in, do a little regroup and uh, check in. On, uh, on how everything went. And then, and then from there, um, for me, I head back up to my office and I start getting some of that administrative side of my job done and do some meetings um, with the executive director and just work on how we can continue to improve the environment that we've created for the athletes. Um, and, uh, and then from there, I've got usually another session in the afternoon um, that would be in the weight room or on the rowing machines inside. Maybe the athletes are on their own, but, um, but that afternoon session too needs some scripting. And, uh, and I'm usually working with at least a small group of athletes in the afternoon. And then after that, I'll probably get back to a few more emails and, uh, and calls um, again, either recruiting or, you know, continuing to find um, more supporters in our, our community that could, perhaps help some of our athletes with jobs and that kind of thing. Um, we're doing some fundraising. So as a director, I wear, I'd certainly wear a lot of hats from the development director the, the, of, of the athletes, but also the development director in terms of fundraising um, and, and really everything in between. So it's Many usually hats. a busy day. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> we do have a question for you online and it was from Joanne. She says, how do you screen for eating disorders? It's, pretty high amongst rowers, lean and healthy versus uh, lean and healthy, and then fuel versus restricting. Sure, right. Um, because the majority of our athletes um, are uh, heavyweight, and where you see um, more concerns is in with lightweight rowing. So lightweight rowing, we do have some different protocols for the lightweight rowers rather than the heavyweight rowers. Um, but, um, but when an athlete 
um, arrives, we, uh, we, we have them meet with the team physician. And then we've also do um, a DEXA scan and we work on uh, just to understand where we're at with the body composition. So we're able to do that on a quarterly basis and check in with them. And we also work with our, you know, just really what, where their body is. We, we just want to understand where you are in your current state, how you feel about that current state. And then, so we've got the physician on board, we've got our um, physio lab, and then we've got a team, again, sports psychologist, as well as a nutritionist. So the, the uh, nutritionist or dietitian uh, for US rowing works with our team as well. So she is also screening the athletes, um, you know, through conversation. And if she's got any red flags, then we sit down, we have a conversation, and we're looking at blood panels as well um, on a quarterly basis for those lightweight athletes. So I think um, we're monitoring it in that way um, on, a, on a regular basis. And if it seems like it's getting to the point where it's a problem, we, we, we pull the athlete you know, out of the regular training just to really work on them. And, and sometimes that means going home, sometimes it means that they're able to um, you know, work here with the sports psychologist. But ultimately, I think that we have uh, a, a good setup, a really good um, support structure um, around any concerns that we have with uh, with yeah. life. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned a team uh, of people who work with your athletes. Do you do you oversee those or do they work for different organizations within the the river sport organization, how, how does that work? And how do you work with them in a, in a way that aids the athlete the best, I guess is, the, is what I'm looking for. Yeah, right, right. So we, none of our current um, people that I just mentioned, they all work for other, for other hospitals, other clinics. Um, okay. And again, our dietitian works specifically for the whole organization of us rowing so she's working with the entire national team um, with men and women uh, across the country so though ev everybody is um either through contract with us or um or through contract with us rowing yep and looking at, at you as a coach what do you do in order to continue your professional development and get better as a coach right uh well certainly Tune in to your live streams. <laughs> Absolutely. Shameless uh, plug. Keep doing it. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, but, but I also actually um, am currently in uh, my master's program through Drexel University with Cam Casaglis, um, who is the director of that program. And it's a sports coaching leadership master's, and it's all online, and, uh, and it's a two-year program. Uh, and that's, right now, that's, I'm, I'm very deep in that, uh, you know, with my homework and relearning, uh, the blackboard <laughs> and, uh, and it's been, uh, it's been great to, um, to get a, in a group with a lot of other coaches from other sports too, and just have the dialogue with coaches from baseball, from football, um, from diving, you know, there, there's, it, there's just so many different voices in the program. It, it's fantastic. It's been, a, it's been really helpful. In the, in, the, in the scientific research that I have access to through the university that I don't have, or at least have easy access to in general, uh, has been incredible as well, just to stay really up to date with the newest science behind sport. Uh, and then, of course, our sport specifically as well. 
Yeah, that's an interesting point, and I maybe have never considered this as a a rationale for for doing continuing ed like that. Is that typically what I hear is coaches have a lot of mentors and they do professional development within their sport. Sure. When you're doing a, a master's like you're doing, you've you've opened up the doors to hearing different perspectives from different sports, and maybe you learn something new, as opposed to well, this is how this is how our sport does it. And this is how we've always done it. Oh, definitely. Right. And I, and I did, um, a few years ago, I was invited to, uh, essentially represent us rowing, um, on, uh, in a program that was put together by the USOPC and it's the national team coaches leadership education program. And, um, and it's a, it, it as well is about an 18 month program. And that was incredible because I was the only rowing coach um, that was there for sure. But I, I mean, there were just some of the, the legends of sport um, today and, uh, and to have just, these are my buddies now, you know, I can call up any one of them and uh, okay. So what, what do you think about this? You know, when I, from bobsled to um, Karch Karai, who's the, you know, the, the women's volleyball coach and, and a legend in his, in his own right, certainly, you know, to be able to have a conversation with any of those guys about, you know, how, how do you, you know, talk to your, your athletes about this or that? And, and I think that that's really helpful because at the end of the day, it's so much about what we do is the communication, right? I mean, and that's what it is. We, we were talking about earlier that a lot of sport is not sport specific. It's people working with people and, uh, and how, how do we get that right? And so I think that, you know, I don't need to sit around with a bunch of rowing coaches to become a better coach for sure. If anything, I need to get out of that room <laughs> and get into a room with coaches from a variety of different sports and a, and a lot of different perspectives. I think, right. We, we don't want to get stuck with thinking, well, in my sport, it's always been done this way. So let's just keep, moving it forward in this path. Well, all right, well, let, let's, let's jump over here and see what these guys are doing. Um, because maybe they've got, you know, a little bit different, uh, science behind how they, how they communicate with their athletes, how they run training sessions, how they plan for, you know, the long term, And, uh, and I think that's so valuable and, it, and it's been great. I've, I've had a, a lot of great mentors through that program as well, but, and now working with this, uh, program, um, master's program, it's, it's, it's really helpful to just have that dialogue that I wouldn't otherwise get. A lot of the questions I typically field are related to, you know, the academic programs we offer and it's, you know, I want to be a coach, Dr. Backhurst. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the realities of coaching and do you really want to be a coach because maybe what you see on TV is the very small percentage of what actually happens in coaching and coaching is, is not an easy vocation. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that you experience as a coach in, in just your day-to-day in, in your day-to-day life? Well, I think, you know, as, as you're taking on and as Cam is taking on um, and, and other um, professors around the country, obviously, but to professionalize the, what we do as coaches, I think is, is really important and, and really cool to see that happening right now, that shift in, in understanding that coaches have can certainly have a very, very important role in young adults' lives and in adults' lives too, for that matter. But I think that role has, has 
in general not been taken really seriously for a long time i was asked so then so what's your real job you know so you coach yeah. but then like what's yeah. your <laughs> like how do you pay the bills and uh and this this is it i'm doing exactly what i love and i do feel very fortunate but at no point do i take that for granted or do i see myself as a coach that puts on the hat when the athletes arrive and then takes it off when they leave and off I go, um, you know, it, into something else. I, it, it's, it is a 24 seven job for me. And, uh, and I take very seriously what my athletes have come to me saying, you know, maybe not in the exact words, but they've come and said, I want you to help me become an Olympian. I want you to help me reach the podium. And, uh, and that's, that's a, that's a huge endeavor and that's a huge responsibility for me as a coach. And I take that very seriously. So if I can do that better, if I can help an athlete achieve that, um, in, in a different way than, you know, than I'm currently doing, man, I'm up for it, you know, to, to always be a student of the sport, but uh, of sport period, um, I think it's really important for me to get better and, and ultimately for my athletes to be that much better and achieve their goals. So I think, um, that, uh, that, you know, uh, as a, as a coach on a daily basis, it's, it, it's again, being a teacher, um, and, uh, and using your, you know, the, the all the opportunities that you have available again, you know, like these kinds of programs to, uh, to help professionalize how you do that and how you achieve that. And it's not just, you know, a cheerleader on the sideline during game time and then, you know, off and out and, you know, doing something completely different afterwards. It's, it's okay. Evaluating the game afterwards. How could that have been done better? What can we do next time? How can we move forward here? Um, all of that is, uh, is, is really important as, as a coach. And, uh, and I'm, I, I'm just uh, thrilled that, you know, to, to see these programs and to see more opportunities for coaches to professionalize what they do and, and, and maybe for some feel better about that conversation, right? That uh, when people ask them, well, what do you really do? I'm a coach, I'm a teacher, and you know, and, uh, and, and my job is extremely important. If you have questions for Riley, be sure to put them in your chat box. I've only got one more, which is, you know, looking back on your coaching career and your experiences, and then thinking to, to people who may be interested in, in following in your footsteps, what kind of advice would you give those people? Great question. I think um, that reaching out and in uh, talking to other coaches and not being afraid to do that, that, you know, that again, going to national team coaches, to big time college coaches, to big time high school coaches, or just a coach that you, you know, really liked working with maybe as an athlete or someone that you really look up to, but understanding from them what what the job is and what their mistakes were what their successes were and how did they get there and and what are the kind of the important pieces from their perspective but i think getting out there and talking to coaches is uh is is really important and understanding what the job actually is and that if all you want to do is be that cheerleader and you're just you're a fan of the sport and you're and you and you think that coaching is is being a fan then you know, that that's, that's a big problem because that is absolutely the, the 
being a fan of your athletes is a very small part of what you do. The rest of it is, is a lot of hard work behind each athlete, athletic success that you see. And so I think it, that it's really important you get out and you really understand. And if you can shadow coaches, um, that that can be really helpful as well. U.S. Rowing does a great job, I think, at um, making sure that to advance in your coaching education levels that you need to mentor, uh, excuse me, be mentored by um, another coach so that you can really see what what the daily is actually like and, and are you up for it? That's, that's great advice. Yeah. And I, I think that segues into if somebody does have a question for you or, or wants to you know, reach out and, and learn a little bit more about rowing. Uh, what's the best way to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, that would be great, Tim. It'd be great to hear from anybody. Um, I, I'd be happy to uh, to talk about our sport and uh, and just coaching in general in my experience. But uh, the best way to reach me is through email. I think you get started that way. And there's her email address. And uh, I hope you do reach out to Riley with questions. Riley, thank you so much for, for joining me and and sharing your experiences. And, and I hope those watching take something away from this. Me too. I, I know I have a little selfishly, I'm spoiled because I get to, to ask the questions I really want to ask. <laughs> uh, just a reminder coming up tomorrow, excuse me, Carlos Lachlan. He's with FSU football. He's the director of high school relations. So we'll talk about what his job is, how he uh, gets into high schools and, and talks to high school students about maybe coming and playing for, for FSU football. So very much looking forward to that. And of course, we've got guests coming up the rest of the week and into next week and beyond. So we hope you subscribe and, and stick with us as we offer these interviews with everybody. But for now, thanks, Riley, again. Really appreciate you your much, uh, perspective. Um, so until tomorrow, thanks so much for watching.